Morning. Okay, today we're going to start a new series. I'm really stoked about this series. Um, so we're going to, first of all, I want to you know, say for those of you who might be new or someone might be watching for the first time or listening for the first time, we are currently going through the book of Matthew, and we are going to go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We're going to cover everything, Lord willing. That's why we've been in this book for a long time, and we'll continue to be here for a long time. Uh, but we're doing this a little differently. We're breaking it up into sub-series. So um, that way we can more adequately cover the subject matter. So we're going to do a, a different series throughout these books while still covering everything. Um, now, uh, the, the new series we're starting today is called The Parables of Jesus. Okay, and what this series is going to cover is, guess, The Parables of Jesus. Yeah, we didn't get real creative on, on the naming of this, but we're going to cover The Parables of Jesus. Now, um, the word parable in the Greek is parabole, and what it means is, and I know it, a lot of times this gets confusing, but it's, it's really simple. It just means an illustration or a short narrative that teaches something. That's all it is, all right? Just basically a story or an illustration that teaches something, right? And I love, if you notice, when you see how Jesus taught in the scriptures, the way he taught was amazing because he always taught by making his sermons or his parables relatable to people. He wanted them to be able to relate to it so they could take it home. For example, if he were talking to farmers, when he would use an illustration or a parable, he would talk about what? Farming. So you guys got this, right? If he were talking to merchants, he would do a, you know, a parable about business. Okay, so he always made it relatable so they could, they could grasp it wherever they were and take it home with them, right? So parables are a really effective way of, of relating the truth to people. Now, today we're going to discuss the parable of the sower and the seeds. How many people have heard of this one? Okay, good. Of the sower and the seeds. And there's a lot of people that, that, that are confused with this because there's been a lot of confusing teaching on it, and hopefully we can clear that up today. But one of the things we're going to learn through this parable is that the Word of God is powerful. And it always, always, always makes an impact on our lives. Uh, like Isaiah said in Isaiah 55.10, he says, The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. Uh, they cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Okay, so this is really important. The Word of God always impacts our lives, right? It always impacts our lives. But the way we receive His Word will determine how powerfully it impacts us. Okay, this is really, really important because there's an old preacher one time that told me the Word of God will either justify you or condemn you, but it's going to do something. All right, so it's really powerful. So let's jump right into this parable, starting in Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of what? Parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon withered under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. 
Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, Jesus began this parable in a, in a really cool way. Okay, he begins it by getting in a boat and kind of backing away from shore and, and sitting down and preaching to them from a boat while they stand on the shore. Right, and this is where we start to see that Jesus really was the master communicator. I mean, the absolute master communicator. Because he starts by getting their attention. Listen, if you were just walking by, and you saw some guy standing in a boat and a crowd of people in front of him on the shore listening to every word he said, you'd want to know what was up, wouldn't you? I mean, he basically uses this boat, this boat like, like, a, like a pulpit, and he gets their attention with that, right? Now, it's really neat because he always tries to reach people right where they are, so he starts, this, this, this crowd was very familiar with agriculture, so he starts with this, with this farming illustration. He talks about a sower spreading seed or a farmer spreading his seed. He's like, I know they'll all relate to this, so I'm going to talk about a sower and a seed. So he said that this, this farmer spread this seed, right? And it lands on four different types of soil. Okay, and the first was a footpath. And the footpath is just that. It's that area between the rows that, you know, the, that people walk on and, you know, even animals would come through and walk on. It's right in between the rows, so it's really beaten down because it's always walked on. So it pounds it down to where it's really hard and compact. Right, So when the seed hit the footpath, it was too hard and too compact for the seed to sink in. So the seed couldn't actually germinate. So what happens is the birds start coming in and taking the seed and eating it and take it away. Right Now, the second soil was shallow and underlaid with rock. So what this means is like there was a small layer of dirt and then rock underneath that. Okay, So it was shallow with an underlaying of rock. So it did germinate and it started to grow. But the roots couldn't get deep enough to be properly nourished. So when the, the sun came out hot or the hard weathers came upon it or even, even high winds would come upon it, it didn't have deep enough roots to survive. So they shriveled up and died. Now, the third soil was covered in thorns. Okay, so the seeds fell on those thorns, and it, once again, it germinates. It starts to grow. But the thorns all around it, you've got, you guys ever dealt with thorns, anybody? I mean, they wrap around everything. Have you ever walked through them and you think, I'll just run through them? <laughs> yeah. Let me save you some pain and blood. Doesn't work. It's like they're alive. Because they just wrap around you and cut you in places I'm not going to discuss. And I mean, just they, just, they grow around things and they strangle things out. So this seed fell there and the thorns grew up with it as it was growing and it choked them out. Uh, and they didn't produce any, any fruit. Right Now, the fourth soil was actually good. It was fertile, it was deep, it had great nourishment. The seeds that fell on that grew up really healthy and productive, and some of them even had a hundred times the amount that was planted. So we're talking a hundred-fold crop, 30, 60, 90, hundred-fold crop. So that's kind of the parable he comes out with. Now, after hearing that, the disciples kind of had a question, and their question is, why the parables? What's with the parables? Because when he talked to the disciples, he was just straightforward with them. But he talks to these people, and he uses parables or stories. So let's look at this, Matthew 13, 10. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, 
Even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Okay, so the disciples were a little confused about why he spoke to them in parables. Because, you know, they understand. They've been with him. They've seen the miracles, and, and, and they kind of they understand who he is and what he's capable of. And so when he talks to them, he, see, he just shoots straight. But he goes around these other people, and he goes, it's kind of like, and he tells this story. And they're going, why, don't, why didn't you just tell them like he tells us? So they go, why do you talk to the people in parables? And what you don't realize is Jesus' answer really addresses the stubbornness of the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people that were, that were hard-hearted. Because, because he's, here's basically what he's saying. If you're looking for answers, if you're looking for spiritual answers, if that's what you really want, you really want to know, you're going to take the time to decipher these parables. You're searching and you're saying, okay, what is the meaning of this? And you'll search it out and try to find out what it means. So those who are looking for answers will find them. But he's saying, listen, these Jewish leaders and their followers, they don't want to know. They refuse to know. And they're going to hear this story. And they're going to try to find a way to criticize it. They're not really going to be listening to what I'm saying. They're going to hear these stories, and they're not going to try to figure it out, and they're going to dismiss it as foolish, and even though they've seen what I've done and, and heard my words, they're going to reject it, and they won't understand. They just, they just refuse to understand, right? And this is what he's talking about. The ones who want to know will decipher these parables. It'll make sense to them. The ones who don't want to know won't even give it a second look. Right? And that's why he quoted Isaiah and he said, that kind of person, the Jewish leaders who refuse to learn anything, who are set in their ways, have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear. Just like Isaiah's prophecy. They just refused to hear what was going on. But the people who really wanted to know would listen to that story and take it in. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, and you're very blessed because you actually hear with your ears and you actually see with your eyes. And the things that you're seeing, the things that you're hearing, the Old Testament prophets and the righteous people of the Old Testament long to see and hear these things. But because you believe me, because you had faith in me, the power of faith is revelation. It will reveal to you things that they wanted to know, things that they wanted to see. You're getting to see those things because you had faith in me. So I speak in parables so that those who are looking will, will find Exactly what they're looking for. And the people who don't care won't even take the time to decipher it. Now this, this is so familiar to me because I hear people all the time tell me things like, I just don't get anything from the Word, so I don't read the Bible. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? The Bible doesn't make any sense to me. All right, has anybody here ever said that? Yeah, there we go. We've got a few honest people in here. Right? I've, I've heard that time and time again, and the first thing that I tell them is, do you really want to know? 
do you really want to know? Because, see, sometimes we read for the wrong reasons, right? Because sometimes we read because it's the religious thing to do. We're supposed to read, so we read. Have you ever been reading because you're supposed to read and thinking about something totally different the whole time, and you read like four pages, you're going, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I just read. How many people have ever done that? That even happens sometimes when you want to know, especially if you're ADD, so I've heard. (laughs) Right? But I'm telling you, I always ask them, do you really want to know? Because if you really want to know, if you really want spiritual insight, you'll get it. You should actually pray for that. You know, some people think this sounds weird, but before I read, I always pray and I ask the Holy Spirit directly. And people go, what, you're addressing the Holy Spirit? Well, he is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And I'll say, Holy Spirit, please let me stay focused and speak to me as I read, as I prepare this message, as I prepare this devotion. Speak to me. Let me hear what you want me to hear, not what I want to find. Let me hear what you want me to hear in this. If you want to know, you'll know. It'll be revealed to you. But if you're reading to be religious, you just won't get much. Here's, here's what I mean, you know, in, in the totality of reading to be religious. Some people read because they're supposed to. And I think we've all done that from time to time. But some people legitimately just read because they're supposed to. And they're not really searching for anything. They just want to tell everybody, I read three chapters a day. You know what I mean? They make it like a competition. They're not going to get anything out of it, right? And other people read to support what they want to believe. Have you ever met that person? They'll take scripture completely out of context just to prove their point. So they don't look through the Bible saying, God, reveal something to me. They say, God, I think you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Now show me a verse that sounds something like that. Right? And so they flip through the Bible, read past anything that contradicts it, and look for just what they want to find. Right? They don't, their minds are made up. They don't really want revelation. They just want proof to back up their beliefs. Those people are going to get nothing from the scripture. Nothing. I've even met people who read so that they can have fuel to debate with other people about the word of God. I'm like, you're not going to get anything. Because believe it or not, the word of God is not designed to be a cage match. Right? That's not what it's designed for. So if you're reading to be religious or for any of these other reasons, you're not going to get anything. This is what the Jews were like at that time, the Jewish leaders. They weren't listening to the words of Christ. They were looking for reasons to criticize him. They were looking for reasons to accuse him. They weren't listening. They weren't seeing, right? Their hearts were hard. They blinded themselves. They made themselves deaf. And this is one of the most difficult situations to be in, is a Christian who is unwilling to learn. Unwilling to learn. And this happens all the time. And I'll tell you one of the biggest enemies that makes that happen denomination all right now i'm going to get a bunch of emails which i will promptly ignore but here's what happens is some believe you have to be baptized to have eternal life well and you can casually read the bible and see that that's not true but they read to back up their their beliefs they are unwilling to 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 learn they won't even take into into the realm of possibility that they might be wrong 
So anything that doesn't agree with them, they just rewrite past it and they find that one or two verses, you know, that is a dangerous, dangerous situation to be in. Or if you don't want to change your life, and so whenever you read something that tells you what you're doing is wrong, you blow right past it and pay no attention to it. That's unwilling to learn. If you're unwilling to learn, it's equal to being unwilling to get closer to God. See, the Jews were unwilling to get closer to God. They wanted to be religious. So they wouldn't listen to the Son of God and believe Him. They didn't want to. They wanted to stay just like they were, and they were happy with where they were. But if you're in that situation, if you're that person that, that's not willing to learn, I don't care if you've been saved 30 years. I hate it when people pull the authority card. That ever happened to anybody? You talk to somebody, and they come up with some ridiculous doctrine that's easy to prove wrong. And they go, well, I want you to know, son, I've been reading the Bible for 30 years. And I'm going, yeah, you ought to actually, you know, read it with the desire to learn something. You know, because it sounds like you've had 30 years of religion seeking in the scriptures. Right? Being unwilling to learn is a dangerous, dangerous situation because if you're unwilling to learn, you're unwilling to get closer to God. It's just, it's that simple. Right? Now, Jesus is going to explain this parable in real detail. All right? So let's look at this. Now, before I start, the message of the kingdom or the gospel for us can't be forced on anybody. It cannot happen. It is a choice. It is a choice. You cannot force the gospel on anyone. See, when Alexander the Great offered the opportunity to have allegiance to his kingdom, offers kind of a strange word for him. Because basically it was, be a loyal subject to mine or I will torture you to death or murder you. So what's your decision? Everybody's like, wow, I'll give you allegiance. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not the kind of offering that Jesus is bringing or the offer that Jesus is making. Right? Now, you either accept his kingdom because you want to or you do not. It can't be forced on you. Anybody here ever heard of the Crusades? You guys heard of that? In today's school, I don't know if they teach that anymore. But um, the Crusades basically was people going to war and using violence to convert people to Christianity. You will love Jesus or die. I mean, that was basically it. That's not how the kingdom is offered, right? You can't force it on anybody. When Jesus offers the kingdom to people, it's just that. It's an offer. And it's so important that you realize that having eternal life is your choice. Now, you're not purchasing it. Jesus did that. You're not earning it. Jesus did that. But you have to choose to accept it. All right? You have that choice. I can't stand it when people say God's throwing people in hell. Nobody goes there without a choice. He didn't even want them to go there. You have a choice. And the, the following examples that he's about to explain, they're going to illustrate four different reactions to that kingdom offer. Okay? Because the seed represents the word of God. Right? And the ground represents our hearts or our minds and how we respond to the Word of God. So let's take a look at this. We'll first look at the footpath soil, Matthew 13, 18, and 19. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about which the farmer, uh, about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't listen, pay attention to this, and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. 
Now, I want to tell you something. In each of these examples, in each one of these examples, this is talking about a response. Once again, a response to the message, a response to the Word of God. How our heart and mind respond to that, okay? Now, another thing I have to point out is only when the seed germinates does it represent life. Okay, if there is germination, then that represents life. Okay, if it starts to grow, if it starts to grow roots, that, that represents the presence of life. So of these four examples of hearts that are reacting to the word, there is only one of them that actually does not believe. There's only one of them, and that's this first one. Because the footpath soil represents those people who hear the message and just choose not to respond to it. The word for understand here, people say, well, they didn't understand. That's mean. It's really poorly translated, and almost every translation uses that. It doesn't mean that they were confused and go, gosh, I don't get it. Because if you want to know, what did we say earlier? You will know, right? If you want to understand, you will understand. So the word understand here in the Greek actually means make sense of it. It means to make sense of it. Let me explain that. They weren't confused. They heard the message and they understood the choice. They just didn't believe it to be a valid option. Their minds couldn't wrap itself around the idea that that's the right way. Maybe they were so religious they just didn't want to give it up. So they're like, ah, man, I don't know. That's against everything I believe. I just, I just refused to put that together. Right? Or, or maybe they just have no interest in God whatsoever and they're going, yeah, I know, you know believe in the big bearded guy in the sky is going to blow nah i'm just it's, i'm just not going to put that together that's what that's talking about it doesn't mean that they actually didn't understand it means that they just chose not to grasp that concept they refused to grasp that concept so those people when the message is given to them their hearts are so hard that the word just doesn't take right and it never germinates and the birds represent the devil and his legions, and they come and take that away from them so that they never believe, right? And what that means is that the, they actually just, he just says, okay, you're not interested, and he just starts distracting them from ever understanding that message because their hearts won't receive it anyway, and they end up, you know, dying without eternal life. So, I mean, this, that's the first example. This is the only one that would represent someone who did not believe. There was no germination. The heart was too hard. You can see how he's pointing this to the Jews, can't you? Their hearts were so hard, he's just throwing seed all over the place on them. And it's just bouncing. And the birds are just having a buffet. Right? They, they want nothing to do with it. Okay, so this is kind of who he's talking about here. Now, the next soil is the rocky soil. Matthew 13, 20. It's funny, I kept thinking about rocky every time I looked at this passage. So don't, I, this is going to make you feel weird, rocky, but I thought about you a lot when I was preparing this. Anyway, Matthew 13, 20. It says the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately what? They what? They receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't have what? Deep roots. Do they have roots? Yeah, they're just not deep. Okay, so they don't have deep roots. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, the rocky soil represents a person who believes but isn't rooted well. See, here's the deal. Plants 
need deep roots to gather water and nourishment from the soil, all the nutrients that they need. They need deep, deep roots. Right now, if that doesn't happen, they don't have the strength, they don't have the constitution to withstand the sun or the wind because they're, they're too shallow, right? They're, they're just too shallow. See, it's kind of strange. Here's how plants work. Because everybody knows I'm so big on plants. No, but anyway, here's, here's how plants work, right? As, as their roots get deeper and deeper, they pull more nourishment and more moisture. And when they need more moisture, they just keep digging down deeper to find more, right? And when the wind comes and starts to bend them over, and when the sun comes and starts to dry them out a little bit, they start pulling more and more. And, and it, they, you know, the, the little bit of damage that they get from the wind or the sun, they pull more nourishment and they heal themselves and they're even stronger because they're pulling more nourishment. It's kind of like when we lift weights. <laughs> As you can all see, I am pumping the iron. But anyway... When we lift weights, you ever, you ever lifted and you go home, or maybe not weights, maybe we're talking lifting something in the backyard, but you ever, you ever lift something and you're like the next day going, oh, you know what I mean? Everything's sore. But what happens is, is you're starting to tear those muscles a little bit, and then the body comes in and heals it, and it's actually stronger than before. It's the same thing with the plant, but if a plant can't draw enough moisture and can't draw the nourishment it needs, when those elements hit it, it just destroys it. It just destroys it, right? So the same is true for those people who believe. Now, we know he believed, right? We know these people believed, right? They joyously received it, and they sprang up. So there was germination that took place. They believed. So we know that, right? But they don't fully commit, right? Because deep roots means getting into the Word of God, getting into your faith, right? But they don't do that. Their roots aren't deep they don't fully commit themselves right now here's how you get in that situation they don't read they don't read the only word they hear is what they hear on sundays and that's a dangerous situation to be in right i don't want the only word you hear to be those that you hear from pastor eye candy okay (laughs) that's not what i want i want you to know for yourself right so they they don't read like they should they don't worship like they should right they don't pray like they should they become a believer and people go well how do you get in that situation it's really easy maybe you don't change the people you hang out with in the places you go because you can believe and have eternal life and get back in with the same crew that got you in trouble in the first place and guess what they'll keep you distracted And you won't read, and you won't pray like you should, right? But either way, they're not fully committed. They're not reading, they're not praying, they're not worshiping, they're just not fully committed. So when trials come, or difficulties come, or persecution comes, they're kind of defenseless. Because they can't defend their faith, they don't know anything about it, they haven't read. Right? They can't lean on the promises of God because what? They don't know the promises of God. They're not reading them. They can't lean on that for strength, right? And so they're kind of defenseless. And so what happens is they get frustrated and they just kind of give up. They just kind of shrivel up and wait to go to heaven. Will they go to heaven? Yes. 
Are they going to produce any fruit as a believer? And when the Bible talks about fruit as a believer, it means service to the kingdom. Produce works that serve the kingdom. Will they produce anything like that? No, they won't. They just kind of shrivel up and become ineffective because they never took the time to get deep roots, to really commit to their faith. Right? And it is easy to get in that situation because we are easily distracted. How many people have ever thought, and I know you guys probably don't want to admit this, but do it anyway. How many people have ever said, I'm going to read or I'm going to go do this, you know, something really well intended. But first, I'm going to check something on Amazon. <laughs> Anybody ever do that? Come on. It's almost Christmas. Don't lie. Anybody ever go, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to go to early service today because I haven't done that before. And I'm going to, but right after I check Facebook, you know what I mean? And that second of Facebook, see, you know, I'm just going to check and see, you know, what anybody, you know, how anybody reacted to my post. Because God knows that's the most important thing in the world. And so when you go look at your post, the next thing you know, the few minutes becomes a few hours. And you're like, oh, man, now I got to go. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to go to early service. Anybody ever been distracted like that? Tons of us. Anybody ever say, I'm just going to see what's on Netflix? We have so many things to distract us today. We can become like this. We can become a believer and get distracted and never set our roots. And then we can't stand when persecutions come. So it's really easy to get in that situation. Now, the next one is the thorny ground, Matthew 13, 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Okay, so we know that there's a plant because he said it didn't produce fruit. So there was germination. Is there life? Yes, this is someone who believes. All right, so that this, what this talks about is someone who believes but is, again, gets easily distracted okay they believe but they you know things start to take over their mind they're faithless that they, you know they're trying to solve their own problems they're not willing to submit things to god right so the next thing you know all the worries and all the pursuit of wealth and all the pride and worried about what your neighbors think and making sure you keep up with the neighbors making sure you have a lot of money and a great vacation home and making sure that you have the coolest car right making sure that all these things that mean nothing the enemy's just throwing them at you the neighbor got a new mower, right? The neighbor takes cool vacations, starts throwing that stuff at you, right? You worry about what people think, worry about your retirement, worry about, I mean, just constantly getting distracted by all these things coming at us. So what happens is the cares of this world, the looking, the, the pride, the pursuit of wealth, right? The pursuit of relationships, all those things start to kind of choke out your desire for God. And the next thing you know, you just kind of wither up and become ineffective, and you also don't produce any fruit, which means works that serve the kingdom. Right? Has anybody ever felt the thorns choking them a little bit? Maybe you have a situation that's bringing anxiety into your life. And instead of praying about it and trusting it to God, instead of searching the word for answers, you just start to worry about it. And you're like, gosh, I don't have time to read right now. I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay this bill. 
I got to figure out what I'm going to do about my son. I got to figure out what, and, and the next thing you know, or, or you know, oh, I, you know, I got to make sure that I get my kids stuff they don't need for Christmas, so I got to work a bunch of overtime, right? I got to make sure they know nothing about it being about Jesus, right? And so I'm going to put all this time into overtime, or, oh, you know, I'm, you just start letting things choke out your focus and your desire for God. It happens to all of us. It really does. I'm not going to be self-righteous on this one. It happens to me sometimes. Right? You just start to think, oh, even trying to do good things. You know, oh, you know, I got to make sure I get this done. I want to make sure this comes off great. I want to make sure this sounds awesome. I want to make sure this new building looks good. And, and the next thing you know, you're so engrossed in doing things, you forget that you're doing them for the Lord, and it kind of chokes out your spirituality. It becomes a project. Anybody ever been there? And the cares of the world start to choke it out. Right? They're trying to make sure you're pleasing to that person you want to have a great relationship with. So all your focus is on making sure you look good to them and they don't know the real you, right? And it chokes out your passion for God. That's what this is talking about. Did they believe? Yes. Yes, they, they believed. But they let too many things come in and distract them and choke out the truth. Now, the last soil, Matthew 13, 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30 60 or even a hundred times as much as had been planted so the good soil represents those people who believe and are sold out people who believe and start setting roots they start reading they start getting involved they make sure they worship they try to hang out with people that encourage them right they try to make sure they're always praying they they set their eyes on jesus and are satisfied with nothing less than that they've not only believed they don't just want to be a plant they want to be the plant you know what I mean? They don't want to be just a Christian. They want to be a good Christian. And they give all their, their focus to God. Right? And, and those people produce fruit or works that serve the kingdom. And uh, I've had a lot of people say, yeah, but it says some of them's 30. Some of them's 60 and some of them's 100. So the ones that are 30 aren't really doing that good, are they? Do you know at that time, if your crop produced sevenfold or seven times, it was considered amazing. It was considered, I mean, just an awesome crop because you got sevenfold crop. So when you really dedicate yourself to God, there are going to be different levels of productivity in your life. But even if the worst you have to offer is 30-fold, that's still pretty stinking amazing. Right? There are times when we're just in a 30-fold time of our life. It's, that's the opportunities that are given us. And sometimes I think when we see the opportunity to produce 30-fold and do it, God said, now I'm going to give you the opportunity to produce 60. And we produce that. Then he says, now I'm going to give you the opportunity to produce 100. But listen, if the worst you can do is 23 times better than awesome, I'll take it. Wouldn't you? I mean, think about it. If that's the worst you can do, I'll take it. I will take it. Now, I want to give you a little application to take home with you. Okay, about this, because there's, some, there's more to this. See, Jesus is saying that not all who hear the word of God will respond the same way. But that shouldn't change the fact that we still should share it. We should still throw the seed. Notice he didn't say, farmers, stop throwing seed like that. He just explained how it worked. 
So we still have to share the word no matter how people respond to it. Listen, not everyone is an evangelist. You guys know what an evangelist is? Someone who goes around and, and, and teaches and preaches to people about the gospel and tries to reach as many people as they can. Not everyone is an evangelist, but everyone is supposed to evangelize. You know what I mean? That means that, yeah, you may not have to reach the masses, but you've got to reach the people you have the opportunity to reach. You've got to share with them. And you know what? They might be the one that lets the cares of the world choke them out and they don't produce fruit. But guess what? They're going to heaven. They might be the one. They might be the one that has shallow roots and they fold under persecution and yeah, they won't be rewarded in the kingdom, but guess what? They're going to heaven. They might not believe, but they had the opportunity. Or they might be the one that just turns the world upside down. Your sharing the gospel might be the one. Your sharing your faith might be the seed that gives us the next Billy Graham. We don't know. But just because there's different responses doesn't change the fact that we're to put that out there. Now, the other thing I want you to take from this is we need to constantly check the condition of the soil of our hearts. Because believers, we can be any one of those except the first one. We can be any one of those. We can be the person who refuses to let our roots get deep. Right? You ever been that person? You don't have to raise your hands. You ever been that person that just feels like you're just existing as a believer? I mean, you don't feel anything in your prayers anymore. You read the word and you're like, yeah, I'm supposed to read. I told him I'd do the Matthew challenge. Hold on. The whole time you're thinking, I wonder if there's a sale at Kmart. I wonder, you know. You go, well, oh, chapter 5. I, I read what I was supposed to. Just nothing there. I mean, you can be that person with the shallow roots, and then things come on, and you're like, why can I, why do I only feel like I can stand against it? Well, because you haven't got your roots very deep. Or you can be that person, check the soil. You can be that person that's just letting every worry of this world choke you out. You're focused and worried about everything but Jesus. You know, if we worried as much about being close to God as we do everything else, we would all be Billy Grahams. Right? You can easily become that person it does, i mean it doesn't take long right but here's the person you want to be the one that when problems come you say i'm going to give it to the lord i'm going to dig deeper i'm going to let my roots sink deeper i'm going to draw the nourishment i can from him and i'm going to let him take care of it and people see that then when your problems come even those will minister to other people by how you deal with them and how god blesses you so always check the soil of your hearts I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. Actually, we won't. Next week, we're going to be doing a Christmas message. But um, I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. This is your first time. We always like to give an invitation. I say that every week because it's true every week. But, and here's what I mean by that. I'm not asking anybody to come down. I'm not asking anybody to, to meet with me after service. I'm, I'm literally just giving you the opportunity to have someone pray for you. We don't point people out. We don't chase you down. We don't email you. But we know that the word of God is powerful. I just read the passage that says that. It always accomplishes something. And when you hear it, sometimes, sometimes you know it's speaking to you. If, if you're not sure where you stand with God today and you feel like he's trying to speak to you and you want to be that soil that receives it and produces fruit, if if you just like for us to pray for you, just make eye contact and put your head right back down. I'm not going to point you out. Bless those people. I'm not going to 
not going to chase you down. Bless those people. I'm just going to pray for you. Because if the Spirit is calling, the seed is trying to take root. It's trying to germinate. And if you're listening online or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you too. And believers, the big thing I want to pray for us is that we always make sure we're checking our own soil of our heart. We're always making sure that we're ready to receive all we can, draw all the nourishment we can, grow as strong and produce as much fruit as we can, because the time is short and we want to be effective in serving his kingdom while we're here. I'm going to pray that we get a little less Amazon and a little more Bible in our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I just thank you that, that you love us so much that no matter how short we fall of perfection, no matter how much we sin, no matter how imperfect, you always love us and you always offer your grace to us. I'm so thankful that your grace is stronger than our sin. And God, I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you or listening or watching that doesn't know you, that whatever it is that's holding them back, would just go away and they would just focus on the love that you had that took you to that cross. I pray that they understand that you want them just like they are. They don't have to quit or change anything. You'll take care of that. I just pray that they, they just believe that what you did was enough to guarantee their eternal life and we know on the authority of your word that they'll become one of yours. And if they make that decision, I pray that they find someone, come and talk to one of us, contact us through one of the many methods we have or if they're a long way from here, find a good church or a good Christian friend because everyone needs, when they begin their faith walk, someone to walk with them in that journey. And God, for those of us who believe, I just pray that we're always checking to make sure that we're doing everything we can do to produce the most fruit possible. We want to make sure that we are responsible for helping enlarge the borders of the kingdom so that so many more people can spend eternity with you. Let us have a desire to dig deep and produce. We just thank you for all that you do. We pray as we leave here, you would keep us safe. Bless us to live what we profess. If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that, that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.